I will not risk open war. Open war is upon you. Whether you would risk it or not. We are fighting a literal spiritual battle for the well-being of our families. When's the last time you had a professional marriage expert give you advice? Proven strategies to help you overcome the miserable arguments and fights that keep coming back again and again and again. You know what I'm talking about. Is your relationship struggling with difficulty communicating? Maybe it's just a lack of intimacy and feeling disconnected. Or maybe you feel stuck because of those same stupid arguments you just can't seem to get past. Hey, if resentment is becoming a problem, don't waste another moment. Join the VIP inner circle. Head on over to smalleyinstitute.com and get live help throughout the week with yours truly, me. Allow me the chance. I want the chance to help to give you the proven strategies that I know work. I've researched these things personally, and anything I'm going to use to help you has been proven effective by other researchers. So I'm telling you these things work. Personalized coaching, well, that's not all you're going to get. With the VIP Inner Circle membership, you'll gain instant access to a massive vault of marriage education online courses. You're going to get downloadable couples exercises. Man, you can print these things out and use them in the moment to make sure your relationship doesn't become miserable. You'll have access to free monthly webinars and very cool online assessments to help you know exactly the growth areas for you that need to change. Smalleyinstitute.com. Join the family with the VIP Inner Circle membership. Oh, and one other thing. Join me live September 11th through the 13th for a three-day virtual couples retreat. By the end of the first day alone, you're going to have a marriage dream statement, which is basically a vision statement. Why is this important? Because it's critical to know the purpose for your marriage and having a clear vision of what you want your marriage to be and how you want it to impact your children and community. Develop this vision and purpose for your marriage and watch your struggles become totally irrelevant. After you have this real live marriage vision statement, Saturday and Sunday, are going to focus on sexual intimacy, healthy communication, and lots of chances for Q&A so I can help you specifically. Register today. Spots are limited for the Married on Purpose live virtual couples retreat September 11th through the 13th. You can do it right now. Don't waste another second. Smalleyinstitute.com. C.S. Lewis once said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and feel an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, look, they're equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Again, that was C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite. And You know, I'm going to talk about 
one of the biggest things that I was ever challenged on or that I ever learned when it came to my spiritual life and my spiritual growth and maturity in following Christ and really being a disciple. And, and so I don't know if y'all are like me, but I grew up in the church. I had a Christian mom and dad. My dad was in full-time Christian ministry. And so I've really never known a life apart from understanding or at least knowing and being aware of God. But one of the things, and, and I'd be curious if, you've, if, if this was your experience, especially if you grew up like I did, in the church, going to church, parents who believe and made that thing a priority, your relationship with God. So one of the consequences that I didn't learn until 2005, 2006, is I knew about demons. I'd read about demons, but... I was under the false understanding, I was under stupidity, let's just call it what it is, that, you know, demons were kind of part of the, the old world, the Old Testament, yeah, are they really around today? Who knows, they could be, but because I prayed the prayer and I claimed to be a disciple of Christ, they can't mess with me. And so I was totally blinded and ignorant to the demonic world, to the, you know, in Ephesians, when it talks about, you know, you're in a battle, so put on the full armor of God. I didn't really get it and didn't really worry about it. And for me and my family, it didn't become, I didn't understand the truth until about 2006, 2005, we moved from Branson, Missouri to Houston, Texas, and that was a hard move. Our kids, you know, all their best friends were in Branson. We'd lived there close to seven years, but Amy and I got a huge opportunity. I was, I was going to be able to plant a church in the woodlands. It was kind of a church within a church, so it was a large church that hired me to start a new service. They wanted me to open up a small marriage and family center and run that for them. So it was an amazing opportunity. And I've shared this before. Our firstborn, man, Cole, he was the easiest kid, right? So Amy and I were very young. I think I was 23-ish when he was born. But we thought, oh, my gosh, we are really good at this parenting thing. We're like geniuses because he never really did anything wrong and if he did something a little off, all we had to do was look sternly at him and he'd be like, forgive me, master. I'm so sorry. I need to repent of my sin. He was so obedient and easygoing that one time it was like, I just need to give this kid a timeout. No, I wouldn't have done that. Well, I am capable, but he did something minor. So he got, you know, whatever, a three, four, five minute timeout. Being an ADD father, I forgot. So somehow in the span of three to five minutes, I forgot I had a son. I forgot I'd put him in a corner downstairs in a timeout. The problem was he was kind of hidden away. And so I, you know, left him there, didn't set a timer, which I should have done, got distracted doing other things quickly. And before you know, it was like 30, 45 minutes later, I hear this soft, 
crying. So he wasn't even wailing. And I'm like, what is that noise? And I started looking around. And then I found him, big tears coming down his eyes. He didn't move. This was a good kid. And then we had our second child, Reagan, our daughter. And we quickly learned, oh, we're not great parents. We had an, <laughs> we have a great kid. Because Reagan, it was a little bit of a different story. So when we moved from Branson to Houston, within a period of nine months, our son, at about nine years of age, went from the golden child to a complete and total delinquent. He was lying constantly. He was stealing money from kids at school. He was getting into trouble. We had a teacher's meeting in fourth grade, third or fourth grade, where the teacher was like, I'm worried your son's going to grow up to be a delinquent. We were like, good, what is happening? And nine-year-olds don't typically have that kind of a radical attitude shift, you know, within six to nine months. So I was like, man, what is going on? And, you know, I had my master's in clinical psych. I was working on a PhD. And, and so I started kind of going through everything that I know to try to figure out what's going on. But thing after thing that I tried and tested failed. Nothing was working. He was only getting worse. And then we had, Cole and I had this really bizarre experience. So he'd gotten in trouble. It was a big one. I think he'd gone over to a friend's home when the parents weren't there. And he knew we had a very strict rule that he was not allowed over at friends' homes when the parents aren't there because kids are going to get in trouble. And so I found him. It was really a Holy Spirit thing. And so he's in big trouble. I get back home. I go get him. We get back home. I go, go to your room and don't, don't move. Don't leave until I come up there. Your mother and I have to figure out what your consequence is. So Amy and I talked about it. I eventually go back up there. And as I'm going into his room, I can hear this kind of visceral yelling and cursing. And look, if you know me, you know, I'm not overly hung up on cuss words. I got my own thoughts and opinions on them. I just feel there's only certain appropriate words if you drop a heavy object onto your foot. There's only certain words that'll describe what you're feeling in that moment. But point is, I'm not a prude about language. But man, this nine-year-old kid was throwing down some really intense, bad words that some of them he'd never heard, right? So I have a I have a limit of what I'm willing to throw out there into the ether. But I just I stood at his door with the door shut, totally shocked, going, what is happening in there? And so I kind of creeped open the door, snuck in, and watched my son. His bed it's one of those beds where it was up high and he had a desk underneath. And he is flailing about from headboard to footboard, headboard to footboard, cursing and screaming. And I mean, he looked like a raving lunatic. I didn't know what to do. All my training, all my education, I was like, uh. So I just kind of crouched down so he wouldn't see me and tried to like collect myself and figure out what, how do I handle this? And then on one of his flailings towards the footboard, he kind of went over the side, didn't fall off, but he went over and he saw me and he just stopped. At that point, I'm like, well, I don't know what to do, but I got to do something. So I stood up and I went, hey, what's happening? 
And I asked him, I go, you know, come here, man. So he comes down, he's terrified. I And, and I just went, look, because I knew there's something going on that he has to tell me about. And, and so I did what I think a good parent should do. I didn't jump down his throat. I didn't immediately start threatening him and punishing him and doing all this stuff out of anger. That's never a good idea. But I really just spent 30 seconds to a minute going, hey, man, you, we need to talk. And I want you to know this is, this is a safe place. This is a punishment-free zone. So, dude, you can tell me anything, and I promise you will not get in trouble for it. I just need you to be honest because at that point, I had landed on a theory that a nine-year-old who goes from golden child to complete delinquent is probably being molested by somebody. And I hate it, and it's disgusting, but that is not a rare thing. And so that was my working theory in the moment. And that's why I spent a, you know, enough time making sure that he knew this was safe. I even went and said, hey, look, no matter what it is, you can tell me. I mean, if someone's threatening you, if someone's hurting you, if someone's threatening that if you tell mom or dad that they're going to hurt your little brother or little sister, I want you to know, man, I'm here and I will protect you. I will fight for you to the death so you can tell me what is going on. And then the tears just started flowing down his face, and I was going, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. My head was spinning and reeling, and, and, and I'm honestly having to push thoughts out of murder, right? Because I'm going, oh, my gosh, if this is some neighborhood dad or dude, I, I can't kill him. That's not going to help my son. It's not going to help my family to, you know, get the gun, run out of the house and go kill somebody. I I know I can't go beat him to death or beat him to a pulp. And so I'm going, Lord, you got to calm me down. I need a spirit of peace here because it's not about me and vengeance. This is about my son. So with big crocodile tears, He's like, okay, I'll tell you. And I'm like, oh my, you know, I'm like, I'm ready to throw up at this point. And then what he says next totally shocked me because with crocodile tears flowing down his cheeks, my son looked right at me and goes, dad, I can't make the music stop in my head. Yeah. If you're confused, imagine how I felt in that moment. I was like, yeah wait, what? And I did. I was like, wait, I'm, what did you say? And just huge tears streaming down his face. He looked in and said it again, daddy, I can't make the music stop in my head. And at that point I was like, you know what, dude, I've asked you to be honest. I've told you this is a punishment free zone. What are you doing? That doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? Right. I mean, judging by what I saw, I'm like, you know, is it something by Black Sabbath? Is this an Ozzy Osbourne, right, kind of song? I mean, what song are you talking about? And then he just looked up, and he wanted reassurance. He was scared, and he said, and this is what freaked me out, Dad, if I just do something bad, they stop the music. Now, that felt way too close to The Exorcist. 
right? I was like, wait, who? Who's they? And remember, I was ignorant to demonic things. I was ignorant to the spiritual warfare that is going on right now behind the scenes. I, I, I was ignorant to it. So that just kind of freaked me out. And I just looked at him and unfortunately I failed him as a father. And I just went, okay, well, um, thank you for sharing. So I'm going to go downstairs and talk to your mother. And I left him there. I didn't know what to do. I went downstairs. I told Amy what happened. Amy burst out in the tears. And then she said, and I was sitting like on the opposite side in the living room and Amy just looked and with desperation goes, I'm telling you, there is like an oppression over our home. And at that, I doubled down on my stupidity and immaturity and ignorance. And I escalated and I was like, oh my gosh, don't go there. That is absurd. You're being ridiculous. No, do scary demonic oppression in our home. And I shut off the conversation. And then it was maybe, I don't know, a month after Cole was getting worse and I was at my wits end. He ended up getting caught stealing lunch money from a girl at school. So we get the letter and of course he lied, never gave us the letter. So the school calls, whatever it was, we confront him. And then, you know, I found some obscure verse in the Bible that's like, if you steal anything, you got to give back twice what you stole. So I was like, look, you go upstairs right now to your piggy bank and you took a dollar, so you need to get $2. So he goes up, comes back down. We drive to the school. It was just right down the road. We give the little girl the money. I make him apologize and ask for forgiveness. And then we head back home. And it's when I got home that it all hit the fan because there was my wife standing in the entryway crying. And I was like, what, what happened in the five minutes that I was gone? And she just went, I, I, I just went up to David's room, our youngest, and I was wanting to work with him on counting. And so I got his piggy bank and there's money missing. I went, what? And I looked at my son. I was like, yo, did you seriously go upstairs and steal money to replace the stolen money? And it, it, it was like his eyes were empty. And he was like, yeah, there was no conviction, no embarrassment, no humbleness. And that's when I snapped. I went, that's it. I had recently heard a podcast from a guy that I really respect in ministry. And he had shared a story about a, uh, his teenage daughter that was just losing her mind and doing all sorts of stuff that he didn't approve of. So he finally just put her in the car and he went on a tour of mentors and just drove her around the country and asked men that he respected, women that he respected, to pray over her and to pray over him. And it worked. So I was like, we're, we're going on a trip. I had no idea what I was doing. I packed stuff for him. I didn't know how long we were going to be gone, but I was desperate. I was like, something has to change. And that's when... You know, Amy was like, okay, I mean, where are you going? I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm going to Arlington first because my best friend from Baylor University, Brandon, was living there at the time. I was like, we're going to start there, and then I'll drive to Branson. And then from there, if, if this kid hasn't broke, 
and I'll just keep going. I knew a lot of ministry people too. And so we pack up the car, we're on the road, Cole doesn't have a clue what's going on, and it was on I-45 from Houston to Dallas where the Lord started pressing in on me like, hey, man, you're really being ignorant. You're blind. You got to pull the wool off your eyes. You need to open your eyes. And I'm like, what? You know, what's going on? And then I call my friend Brandon. Now, what you need to know about Brandon, for years, he'd been trying to get me to bring down a mentor of his, Dr. Ed Lamance, and who is an expert in counseling, psychology, and spiritual warfare. So he actually trains therapists on how do you clinically deal with people that are being oppressed by demonic beings. And for years, when Brandon would ask, this is embarrassing, he would ask, you know, you got to bring Ed and train your counseling staff. And I'd be like, Brandon, because Brandon was more on the charismatic side, let's be honest. Right. And usually people that you meet that are more charismatic, Pentecostal, they tend to feel like they're a little bit too obsessed with demonic things. And it's weird and kind of turns off anybody that's maybe like me that grew up in kind of the average casual. I could wear flip flops to church. Uh, They tend to turn us off because it's like, okay, weirdo. And then you have the other side, right? People like me, and I tend to find these people in Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, Baptist churches. I'm not judging all churches. I'm just saying that more mainstream, the largest, really, denominations uh, tend to be more ignorant to it and tend to ignore it. And, And so we had kind of two extremes. I was on the I'm blind, and then we got the other extreme that I felt like was Brandon, which Come to find out it wasn't, uh, who over a tribute. Actually, C.S. Lewis said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. Bingo. Ching. That was me. The other is to believe and feel an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So this is about balance and understanding the battle that we're in on a spiritual level. And it's not not doing your Bible study or you're not attending church. No, I'm talking about fighting against demonic beings that are real. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus talked about them. He confronted them. There's, there's plenty of examples So we can't escape the truth that demons exist and they are hell-bent on destroying us. So they're there, but you don't want to be in denial and you don't want to be psychotic about it. We really, our goal is to be balanced. And so on the way to stay with Brandon, I'm on this, you know, rebellion tour or breaking rebellion tour and I call him, and he's the first person outside of my wife that I shared what happened that day. And Brandon just kind of paused because I was like, man, that was so weird. And maybe he's having a schizophrenic episode, a psychotic break. I mean, dude, I don't know what's going on. But if you're okay, I'd love to have you pray over us and blah, blah, blah. And so Brandon just got quiet. 
And then he did what a good friend should do. He slapped me multiple times across the face through the phone. And he's like, Michael, you are being an idiot. Your denial of demonic things is destroying your son. Because what I just heard, he is dealing with spiritual oppression. And I just, I mean, it was my moment. I get goosebumps right now. I knew instantly the Holy Spirit confirmed that. And I'm telling you, I broke. I mean, I broke hard. I started sobbing uncontrollably. I had to hang up. I had to pull over on the side of I-45. And praise God, my son was asleep at the time. But I just wept on how I had failed my, 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 my wife, my son, my children through my denial and resistance and flat-out blindness to things in the spiritual realm. So I got broken. I show up. Brandon meets with me, and he's like, hey, I set you up. My mentor in this, Dr. Ed Lamance, you know, the one I've been trying to have you get over the years, and you've said, you know, I used to say, Brandon, demons are your things. I help normal people. That's how bad I was. And so he's like, you know, if you're willing, he said he could meet you tonight at Starbucks. That four-hour get-together will forever change me. I will forever be um, thankful and um yeah, I mean, he changed, it, God used him to change, grow, mature me in a profound way because it was like Ed just ripped it off of my eyes, and I and he was so sweet and so loving. And by the way, God's going to use anybody in your life. They could be saved, unsaved. I mean, it could be anybody because God is not limited by what he can use to get your attention to grow and mature you. And so, side note, I had very strong wounds and negative beliefs about Southern Baptists. Um, just some profound moments in my life where I had gotten very judged. You know, I had a couple of 20-something-year-olds when I was in high school tell me I was going to hell. And I'm like, um, okay, can you help me understand how? Or why? And they're like, yeah, because you don't come very consistently to Wednesday nights. Obviously, they were Pharisees, but it wounded me. And so I, I, I'll tell you, it was a pretty unhealthy disdain for Southern Baptists. So as you know, Ed and I are meeting, and we kind of come to the end of four hours. I'm like, hey, well, what church are you a pastor at? So he was like the executive pastor or kind of the I think he was like the second pastor in charge. And he's like, oh. And he says, so such and such Baptist church. I went, oh, are you like Southern Baptist? And he goes, yeah. And it was like, God was like, mm-hmm. So what do you think now? Because he was so kind. He was so gracious. He was so calm. He was so understanding and loving and patient with me. I mean, it, it blew every stereotype and judgment I had. And he's like, hey, let me pray for us. And during his prayer, the Lord was like, so what are you going to do when he stops praying? I was like, all right, fine. 
So we, he stopped his prayer. You know, he ended. And I just went, hey, the Holy Spirit really convicted me. I have to tell you something. I've had a real bitterness and, and unforgiveness towards Southern Baptist. And I just need to thank you because in one of my biggest hours of need, of course, God would send me a Southern Baptist that destroys and blows up all of my stereotypes. And Ed just laughed. And, and I was like, so thank you. And he's like, hey, man, no problem. So then he handed me this exercise, which if you're part of the VIP program, you'll have. I'm doing a whole course on freedom, deliverance from generational sin. And on this lessons page, you can download Ed's exercise. And it's called Exposing the Hidden Agenda, the most, for me, the most powerful bondage-breaking exercise I've ever done. And I've done it now several times over the years since I got that in 06, I think. Yeah, probably 06. And you can download it, but only if you're a VIP member. So go to smalleyinstitute.com, join the club. The whole reason I'm even doing this new online course on deliverance from generational sin is because of the VIPers. We get to interact daily. We start Honestly, I'm developing friendships, and we really are becoming a family. And and this whole topic was birthed out of our conversations together. And I finally was like, hey, do y'all want me to do something more in depth, like create a course on, on generational sin? They were like, oh, my gosh, yes. So now we're meeting every Thursday morning. And, well, we're dedicating every Thursday morning to this topic. So anyways, back to the story. So he gives me the exposing the hidden agenda exercises. Like, I want you to go back to Brandon's, do it tonight. No matter what, you're going to have resistance, do it anyways. You're going to get scared, do it anyways. So I go back to Brandon's and I'm like, whoa, that was unbelievable. Like, I can't, I had no idea. And this was all brand new for me now, this spiritual warfare that's going on in the background. And I'm like, he's like, did he give you the exercise? I'm like, I got the exercise. He's like, all right, I'll leave you alone. Cole was sound asleep because it was pretty late at night. And I went into the bedroom that Brandon had me set up in. There was a little desk, like those college ones that you had, kind of an ugly yellow wood color. And, and, and on the desk, you know, it had this shelf for books. And so I sit down. I'm like, all right, Lord, I can do this. You know, and, and I was feeling resistance. And that could have been my own psychological junk. Or it could have been demonic powers going, whoa. We do not want to awaken the giant because that's what they fear the most. They fear each one of us recognizing and taking responsibility and owning the unlimited, infinite power that we have access to because of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they don't, they've lost the battle. So the last thing they want is a woke believer that will have what it what they need to destroy them and and to break any power that we've handed over to them. So I sit down. I am a little freaked out. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, guy, you know, I have the exorcist and the chick's head spinning around. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Okay, God, I don't need anything funky Comodina going down tonight. Like, protect me. I didn't even know what I was praying at the time. And so... I get ready to start this thing, and I'm looking at it, 
And then right here, right in the center eye level, I see a book. I had never seen the book. I'd sat at this desk already multiple times. It's right there. And guess what the title of the book was? Why Mike Isn't a Christian. I mean, you can't make this up. And I just went, what? I was like, what? Because my name is Michael. And if we're just acquaintances, I'll let you get away with Mike. But here's a book, and I'm reading the spine. It says, Why Mike Isn't a Christian. I'm like, that can't be a real book. It's a demon book. So I like pick it up. I'm like, what is going on? It was like a small, if I remember right, it felt like it was yellow. I don't know why I'm thinking yellow right now. And I open it up like, what is this? What a weird tie. I mean, do, 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 do. And so I open up the dedication was literally to some woman with the name Ruth. That didn't bother me so much. It was her last name that totally freaked me out. And it and 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 it was dedicated to Ruth Smalley. Yeah. I'm like this is obviously a demon book. This is impossible. I don't know who Ruth is. Apparently we're related, but it had why Mike isn't a Christian on the cover, so Mike and it had Smalley in the dedication. So I got to put all that aside, right, which I did, and I went through the exercise, and it took maybe an hour, and oh my gosh, it's like step after step after, and literally it's numbered, so Ed does a great job sort of giving an overview of what is this battle, what are strongholds, because a part of this, a big part of the exercise is breaking those strongholds. Right, the stronghold of addiction, the stronghold of pornography, the stronghold of uh, alcohol, of pride, of workaholism, anything in your life that is out of balance and hurting yourself and the people you love most. Those are strongholds that demonics, that demons are building and feeding and encouraging to grow and grow and grow because if they can get a good stronghold, out of control in your life, they could practically walk away. It's like, well, job done. Let's go mess with somebody else. So I go through it. I I experienced spiritually a this this heavy burden that it did. It just fell off. It flew away. And I was a changed man, a changed man forever. In fact, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to be able to share some of the things I learned with my son the next morning. But now it's like midnight. I'm already kind of freaked out about the book. I actually did take the book to Brandon. And I was like, is this a real book or is it a demon book? And he was like, what? Yes, that's a real book. His boss, a pastor of a large church in the area, had written it. I'm like, oh, okay, coincidence. And, and so after I finished, you know, the whole thing is new to me. And I'm just trying to be honest because I know the topic is a hard one. I know it can feel confusing. And it can feel a little scary if you really do get the wool pulled off of your eyes. I was a little freaked out. And, I, you know, I, as I went to get into bed, 
I was like, dang. And I started, you know, it was, my imagination is insane. So I hear stuff all the time. Maybe I am having a psychotic break most of the time. But I was freaked out a little bit. And I start praying, going, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I know I've just learned this, but it feels like I'm starting to spiral. And honestly, and this is even, maybe this is the most embarrassing point other than my total ignorance around spiritual warfare, is I honestly, I heard the Holy Spirit go, dude, relax. Why don't you just get up? Brandon has the sound of music on DVD. Put it on and just fall asleep to the soothing songs from <laughs> the sound of music, which is, let's just say it, it is one of the safest movies ever produced. So I did. I got up. I put the DVD in. The singing, the kindness, and all the stuff, I went right out. And it was the next morning that, that I continued just getting blessing and encouragement and strength just poured into me because I took my son on a walk, nine years old, and I said, hey, man, and he knew I had met with somebody that night, and, and I think he even asked, he's like, so how'd your meeting go? I went, dude, it was huge. He's like, really? What happened? I go, honestly, dad, you know, I learned some pretty big things that I'd been totally ignorant to. He's like, really? I go, yeah, I learned that there are, you know, there's good and evil in the world. And there are these things called demons. And he'd heard about demons. And he's like, yeah. And I go, yeah. And, and I learned last night how to fight them. And I learned that I actually have power over them. I learned that they have to, in Christ's name, obey anything I do, anything I say in Christ's name. They, they got to do it. And, and I learned that I don't have to be afraid. And I don't have to be stuck and feeling miserable. And he's like, wow, that's cool. And then I just asked him. And I went, hey, man, do you mind if I talk with you about what's been going on? He's like, okay. And I go, are you? Are you still hearing that music in your head? Look, here's how real this was. I bring up the music, and this child starts sobbing out of control. So if you think, oh, really? Oh, he was stressed out about music? Um, yeah, it was real. It was tormenting. And it had led to his complete and total psychological, emotional, behavioral upheaval in just six to nine months. And so he just starts sobbing. I hug him. I'm like, bro, I am so sorry. I can't imagine what that's been for you. And will you forgive me for being ignorant on how to help and, and how to encourage you and how to be a good father? And he's like, of course I forgive you. And I went, guess what? He's like, yeah. I went, dad learned something last night that can eliminate that music for you are you open to it? He goes, yeah. Nine years old, he's like, I'll do, I'll do anything. And I go, all right. I go, here's what we're going to do. There's a prayer. I think it's step 14 in the exercise. And I go, would you just pray this prayer with me? I go, because Cole, it's important to know, and I want everyone here to, to, to pay attention. I have that power. 
you have the power to break free. Your child has the power and authority to break free in Jesus' name. So if you're a disciple, you got the power. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need somebody else. Ladies, you don't need some man. You have the authority and power to do that because of the Holy Spirit that is indwelling you. So we don't need anybody to do this for us. Sometimes we need a mentor. Sometimes we need somebody who knows more than we do, and like an Ed Lamance in your life. But we have the power, and I wanted at nine years old for my son to hear as quickly as possible that, bro, you don't need me to do this. So my goal in this prayer is that you learn the prayer and that when you need to and when you feel led that you use this prayer because, bro, you've got the same power as I do. And he was like, really? And so I just started praying it. And the gist of the prayer is, Lord, we love you. And I ask in Jesus' name, through the power of his blood, I ask that any spirit of, and that's where you got to ask the Lord, what, what is the spirit? Sometimes you'll get a general kind of idea, right? A spirit of deception, a spirit of chaos. Um, for this one, it was a spirit of music. That's what hit me. And so we just prayed, like, if there's any spirit of music, Lord, any spirit of harassment, any spirit of deception, that was for me, and I had prayed that the night, any spirit of denial. I go, we ask in the name of Jesus, through the power of his blood, Lord, kick it out. It is not welcomed here. It is not welcomed as a part of our family in this space, and we ask that you make it leave immediately, and Lord, Jesus, send it where you want right? Just send it. And one time he cast a bunch of them into a herd of pigs or a flock of pigs. I don't know. Whatever it is, a group of pigs. So Jesus could do whatever he wants. And I'd rather him do it than me try to come up with my own, like, Lord, send the demon there or, you know, no, just say, Lord, send it where you will. And then this has been the unique part of the prayer for me. And Lord, anything it has planted. And at that point, you kind of want to pause again, go, Lord, yeah, what have they planted? For my son, it was fear. For my son, it was control. It was obviously music. And so we called those three things out. It may have been more things. And we said, Lord, they have to take it with them, uproot it, tear it out, and, and they have to take it with them. And then you just pray, Lord, and have they stolen anything? Peace, calm, confidence, security. Have they stolen anything? And, and whatever the Lord prompts, and I don't care what it is, don't judge it, don't evaluate it, just speak it out loud. Lord, they have to give it back. And we ask all this in your precious name, amen. And so we prayed that prayer together. And I honestly thought, I really did. Full disclosure, I thought, I, I mean, I fully expected to see like some dark, cloudy mist, you know, come out of his ear and float. And maybe there's a face in it and go, ah. Obviously, that didn't happen. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying it didn't happen. And <laughs> it was actually pretty funny because we do this. I think he half expected it as well. And so we just kind of finished and. There was no evil smoke coming out of his ear or any other orifice on his body. And we just kind of looked at each other and went, 
well, how do you feel? He goes, I feel pretty good. How do you feel, Dad? I went, honestly, I also feel pretty good. And he's like, what do you want to do next? I don't know why, but I just went, you want to go to the mall? <laughs> so, so he was like, yeah, that'd be fun. So we went to the mall, hung out, had a great day. I'm telling you, he was a totally different kid, completely different kid. It was like we got, I got back my son. And so later that day, and I really want you to hear this. I know this is a long story, but hang with me. It's important. Later that day, we were both going to meet with Ed because he just wanted to make sure how did the night go. Yeah, he wanted to be able to talk with Cole. And one of the things that Ed shared with Cole, it was just a string of profound things for me. But when he was talking to Cole and about his power and authority, he just, he, he the, the word picture in essence, I'm not going to do it as good as Ed does, but he's like, Cole, um, are you smarter than the demons and the, the, the things that are going to be harassing you? Cole's like, yeah. He, and he was a very smart kid. He's like, okay, um, here's the problem. They want to play games with your soul, and their job is to destroy you. So if if the demonic, pre whatever he said, if the demon wants to play tic-tac-toe, do you think you're going to win? And he's like, yeah, I think I would, which is funny because it's really cocky over tic-tac-toe. And I just kind of chuckled. I was like, well, I don't know where Ed's going, but this is funny. And he's like, all right, well, how about I play like I'm evil and you be you? Would you be open for your soul to play a game of tic-tac-toe with me? And Cole's like, yeah, man, bring it on. So Ed draws, you know, the box with the lines. And he's like, I'll even let you go first. Cole's like, ooh, which I still don't know what the strategy is if you get to go first that you basically always win. But Cole knew it, so he puts it wherever and then what Ed did next was huge. Ed goes ahead and puts two X's down. And Cole walked right into it. Because Cole's like, hey, whoa, you're cheating. He's like, yeah. Well, you can't cheat. Why not? Well, it's against the rules. We're not supposed to cheat. And he goes, Cole, they don't play by the rules. They don't care. Which is why don't play the game. Don't engage. You don't have to. Your job and responsibility is to reject them and boot them out of your life. Don't, don't enter into the game. This is about truth, which is where what I've experienced, the charismatic, you know, people further down the scale of being charismatic. Man, I've seen some funky stuff go down, which is probably contributed it to my denial of demonic thing because it looks absurd and people are screaming and they're flinging oil and like the power of Christ compels day and it's like a three-hour battle and you're like what and the person being oppressed is writhing and, ah, and you're like ah and that's what I love about Ed Ed is so calm and peaceful and and so the truth you need to hear is this is about truth Look at me using truth twice in the same sense. <laughs> but it's not a battle. It is simply what is God's truth. 
Our job is to expose that truth because that it's the truth that will set you free. And so it's not a screaming battle. It's not a four-hour sweaty in a dark room or alley. No, man. It's just going, hey, you're a liar and a thief, and I reject you, and in Jesus' name, you got to get out of here. And Ed has so many examples. One of my favorite that I think was more recent is he had a young lady who was being tremendously oppressed. And, and I mean, like to the point this was, you know, as Ed prayed with her and she was exhibiting some very scary, like this demonic power had a lot of control over this young lady. And Ed finds out that this is a very, because sometimes, you know, how many demons are there? All we know is in Revelations, I think 12.4, it said, and the dragon was cast out of the heavens and his tail swooped across the sky and took a third of the stars with him. So how many stars are there? Infinite. <laughs> so take a third of that number. It's a lot. It's a, it's a big army. Ed, Ed looks at it like Satan is really the head of a terrorist network. And if you don't realize that realistically, there's a terrorist cell assigned to you and your family. Like, we're all under attack. Nobody's free from it. And so what, what's important, as I totally lose my train of thought and have an ADD moment, <laughs> so I have no idea what I, I have gone so off the reservation with my notes, but I may have been talking about balance. But, the, oh, and it's about truth. And so he's got this young lady. He finds out as he's asking, Lord, what's this spirit? Is it a general thing? Is it? And it was like clearly a very specific demonic being that he knew was very ancient, very powerful. And so as Ed started to pray, it really revealed itself through this young lady. And it was like mocking him going, you have no power over me. You have no authority here. I'm not going anywhere, and I will destroy this girl. Ed was like, really? And so he, he even got his Bible, and the demonic being was like, whatever, man. That doesn't scare me. He's like, really? Hmm. Okay. And then Ed just got silent, and he just started praying. And this is the geniusness of this guy that I just love, because I would have panicked at that point. The moment a demon is speaking to me through a, a, a human, I'm out, right? It's like, whoa, even though I still, no matter how ancient, no matter how powerful, I'm more powerful when I embrace my identity in Christ. And so Ed just gets quiet and he just goes, Holy Spirit, I'm just gonna ask in the name of Jesus, will you just tell this demon what you're gonna do to him if he doesn't leave this little girl? What a genius prayer. And then Ed just stayed quiet, and I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 seconds later, demon manifests again and goes, all right, I'm going to leave. That's the truth. We don't have to do the battle. It's not our battle. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit, so constantly keep tapping into that. Be creative with it, right? Just go, okay, you're pretty cocky and clearly powerful and ancient and Definitely going to be smarter than I am. So I'm going to go to the Holy Spirit and go, Lord, will you reveal 
to this demon what you're going to do to him if he doesn't obey this command in Jesus' name to leave. And it left. So we have power. We have authority. The question is, are you willing to, are you willing to take it? Things are not what they seem. This is a world at war, and each of us has a crucial role to play in it. We can't keep ignoring this. It's Ephesians 6, 14 through 18, where, it's, where Paul is saying, look, stand firm. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Fit, fit your feet <laughs> with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what Ed used in that moment. I know this is a big topic, but you need to learn how to live free as a family. And in order to do that, we get into trouble. Our life will end up in chaos. It's not just demonic powers because there's not a demon behind every corner. I had a lady once go, sorry, I'm late for my appointment. There is a demon in my muffler. I mean, I... Is it possible there was a demon in the muffler breaking down our car? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not God. But come on. You're late because you left late, and apparently you're not taking very good care of your car. So you need to be balanced in your understanding. We get in trouble because of psychological problems. Our thinking is off. Our negative beliefs are off. We do a lot of negative thoughts and spiraling out of control. That'll mess you up. Sometimes we're messed up because of emotional wounds and we're not dealing with them and we're not forgiving and we're not dragging and exposing those wounds to Christ and allow healing to happen. So you're messed up. Sometimes you're messed up biologically. So you might have a bad thyroid, pumping out bad thyroid things. Clearly, I'm not a medical doctor. And that can actually lead to symptoms that would look like you're schizophrenic, but you're not. You have a bad thyroid, get on thyroid medication, you're going to be okay. And then we also get into trouble because of demonic things. Because we are at war, and they're real, and they are hell-bent on destroying you. So learn to live in freedom. Galatians 5.1, it was, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. If you've got a stronghold in your life that's out of control, that's a you problem. You've given the control away to that thing, and you need to give it back to God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, every man is a warrior inside. Actually, this is a quote, so I don't want to misrepresent Scripture and get shocked. Wouldn't that be funny? Uh Here's a quote from a nine-year-old boy. Every man is a warrior inside, but the choice to fight is his own. Nine-year-old kid, not my nine-year-old. We are warriors. I have the tattoo to, you know, scream mine out because I, I wasn't a warrior for my family, especially when it came to spiritual battles. But every one of us is. Ladies, you are too. Are we going to choose to fight or not? Do we trust that God has our back or not? Do we embrace who we are in Christ? One of the things you'll do if you become a member and you download this exercise, Exposing the Hidden Agenda, is you will 
you will be able to go through this part of the exercise called I am a child of the king, which is trying to get you reset and back on who you truly are. So if you are self-deprecating, if you feel like you're worthless, defective in some way, your identity is broken. And, and that exercise, the part of that, I'm a child of the king, is I've done entire sermons where I just read it. It's poetic. It's brilliant. And it has the Bible verse to the right of every line that you can look up that says this is true. This is a true statement. So if you're going to win this battle, you got to own your identity. You've got to hide God's word in your heart, which, by the way, is really just obedience. So don't just read what he says. Do it. Have family discipleship and then make sure and have a, a good community around you because we are at war. And there's times we're going to be weak and we better have people to the side of us, in front of us, and behind us that can step in when we've fallen. Don't forget, how could you possibly want to miss out on 24-7 digital access to coaching from me, yours truly? You get a growing library of videos, a path towards healing your pain, tools to shape your communication and intimacy, assessments to guide you, and a community of support from people who are going to cheer you on as you journey to the relationship you want. I look forward to our conversations as part of the VIP Inner Circle membership.